0: Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a 7 or 8 mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces, NATION30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. We have a really awesome episode for you today. Today's guest is Mark Krebsbach from Minnesota, and he's going to run us through this little road trip that he recently went on in September. He went to Wyoming, killed a whitetail. He went to South Dakota, Kill a whitetail and now he's back in Minnesota trying to kill a whitetail and uh, that is today's what today's episode is about we talk about the strategy that went into hunting the whitetails in those states we talk about Minnesota and the big woods right the not the southern part of the state like many of the midwestern states further north you get especially in wisconsin michigan minnesota you start getting into some bigger tracks of timber and pines and all that stuff and uh, he talks a little bit about how he hunts those big areas we talk about uh the road trip in general and it's just a really fun podcast that uh, allows us to uh I guess take our mind somewhere else while we're at work or while we're on the road, make things go maybe by just a little bit faster. Um, I will say this. If you want all of the nine finger Chronicles podcasts coming to you easier, or all of the Sportsman's Nation podcasts coming to you easier. Make sure you are subscribed on iTunes or wherever you download your episodes. Um, It just makes things easier if you really like the content that we're putting out. But um, if you're listening to this, I'm going to be in South Dakota and... (laughs) hint hint this is a transition into the commercial i'm gonna be in south dakota using my vortex optics to spot and stalk mule deer so uh, i'm looking at my i got a spotting scope packed i got my binoculars packed um no bullshit some of the best optics in the outdoor game uh, they have an awesome warranty where if you damage it or break it, you send it in. They fix it for free and send it back. The people who work there are participants in the. This isn't just a marketing strategy for them. I know personally three people, you know, I'd like to say it's more or less, but um, I know three people that work there who are die hard. They're equally as diehard of hunters and outdoorsmen as myself. And it's really good to be able to communicate with people like that about Vortex Optics. You know, talk, talk to them to about not only about the, um, their products, but about the outdoors as well. So um, when you can communicate on multiple levels, especially to the market that they're advertising to, I really like that. Uh, and on top, the cherry on top is their warranty, man. You can't beat it. So go to uh, VortexOptics.com. Check out their apparel. Check out their unbelievable line of optics, rangefinders, spotting scopes, binoculars, uh, rifle scopes, and some other stuff there. VortexOptics.com. Enough talking. I got to finish packing for my trip. And uh, let's get into today's episode. In three minutes two one all right on the phone with me today mr mark krebsbach mark what's up dude
1: uh, not much dan how's
0: it going i tell you what uh i'm itching to get in my truck and start driving west uh to south dakota and start hunting mule deer like i'm in the middle of a. Uh, a home remodeling project right now. And it's been dragging on longer than I cared for it to be. You know, I got a couple curveballs curve balls thrown at me, like some subfloor got rotted out. I had to put in a brand new door and finally it's all kind of coming to an end. And I'm not even packed for, you know, I'm not packed for the trip. Like I want to be, and I'm a little frustrated, but I got this weekend in the next like four or five days where I'm going to be able to knock out a lot of this stuff and get it ready. And, uh, I'm I'm feeling good. I just want to get out. I just want to get out of, and I hate to say it, I want to get out of my house. I want to get away from <laughs> my kids for a little bit, and I want to just go be by myself. If that makes sense.
1: Oh, oh yeah, I hear you there. It's and that's always what it's like, like going on out of state comes, You just think about it, and how you're going to be prepared and ready to go, and then and then you're a couple days away, and it's like, oh, I got to get back. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it comes in a hurry.
0: Yeah. Well, and the thing that I always run into is, all right, I'm excited. I'm going, I'm going, I, I get to my camp, I get set up, I get in my tent and I'm laying there. And the only thing I'm thinking about is my, my wife and kids. I feel, I start feeling a little guilty about leaving. And that lasts, that lasts for about a day. But uh, I do, I, I feel, I feel a little bit guilty at that point. Do, do you ever feel guilty going on out of state hunts?
1: Yeah, I, I, definitely like this this year when I, I left i i headed out to wyoming on uh august 27th to, to scout for a few days and definitely when you're when you're driving out of town you know going on a 12 13 hour drive and and knowing you're going to be gone for 9 10 days it's, yeah. there's definitely guilt guilt there
0: yeah yeah it's um it's sometimes it's tough because i i look at hunting especially if you're taking out a out of state trips even even at home, right? Where I dedicate a lot of time the first 2 weeks or 3 weeks in November to whitetails. I'm gone a lot. And it's it's a very selfish activity hunting is. And I cannot wait to where I can involve my kids and my wife a little bit more into the the deer hunting side of it like I've taken them fishing you know we do the fishing Um, they come shed hunting with me but I would I just can't wait to start involving them more where number one I can take them and enjoy the time with them educate them about nature and stuff and then not feel guilty going hunting because they're going to be with me so uh, I'm really looking forward to that day but I'm going to continue to you know go out and grind while I still still can but you mentioned Wyoming. What, what where, where were you hunting or, or what were you hunting out in Wyoming?
1: Uh, so I, I went out to Wyoming. Uh, I, I was out there for, for opening week and, uh, it was in central Wyoming, kind of East central area. Gotcha. And, uh, I was, I was, I was after whitetails cause I, I had went there the year before and there's a ton of nice whitetails. Like the deer population is, is great out there. And, uh, I, I, I went to the same area as I did the year before and, and did things a little bit differently. Um, spent a lot of time, a lot of time just kind of driving around glassing and, and trying to find bucks on, on the public land because there's there's not a ton of public land around there. Um, so it was, it was a lot of just driving around and glassing and trying to figure out where I could, I, I could get on them with a tree stand because I didn't I didn't do spot and stock. I I went out there with a couple lone wolves. And uh, a couple days before season, I, I pre-hung them in a couple spots, um, and I ended up going to a spot on opening morning that I I didn't I couldn't really glass because it was a, a lot thicker stuff, um, you know, it was, and it was tough to get to. I had to you know cross a river and, and go up a up a couple hills down into this uh, oak kind of grove bottom area. Yeah, and uh, I just when I went and scouted in there, I just, I hung the stand where there was a lot of sign where deer had been moving into those, into those oaks feeding on acorns. So that's just kind of, I kind of took a guess for opening day and then I had some spots picked out for the next, uh, next few days. But sure enough, my season was done in Wyoming in a half hour. So,
0: Oh geez. So I, eventually I'm going to have, I'm going to be putting in some points for Wyoming for deer. Now I don't know if I'm going to uh, allocate that to whitetails or mule deer or how I'm going to do that yet. But um, what what is your experience with hunting whitetails in Wyoming? Because um, all I all I think about is river bottom river bottom hunting, and then it gets up into the prairie kind of, especially in the eastern part of the state. It gets into the prairie and a little bit of the rolling hills, which is typically the the mule deer uh, habitat. But where are the deer living, what are they doing, and what is like the quality and the quantity of the deer in that, in that area that you hunt?
1: So what, what a lot of the deer do is they, they like to bet up high on in kind of the, uh, not the big mountains, but the I guess you could call them mountains. And uh, they're, they're pretty predictable as, as they, they come off the mountains at night and move down into the ag field to feed. And basically all I was trying to do is, is intercept those deer. Um, that, that was the plan for the whole week. Uh, I didn't get to hunt like that because like I said, I shot that one opening day. So, uh, all that scouting was <laughs> hopefully going to be useful if I go back next year, but it, that's what it really seemed like all the deer that I saw driving around glassing. That that's what they're doing was just moving off their beds in the hills and mountains down into like the alfalfa fields.
0: Yeah. And, uh, were you hunting on public? Were you hunting on private?
1: Yeah, it was it was all public.
0: Public, uh, were the crop circles public as well, or the alfalfa uh, fields? No,
1: there's, there's, I was basically just looking for public that was adjacent to private.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I, a lot of people. Uh, um, a lot of people have said that because I'm really curious about going out west to hunt whitetails too, and I've hunted in Nebraska whitetails in Nebraska, and what I saw last year in South Dakota while hunting mule deer, uh, man, the deer come out of the, the the hills, so to speak, or they're bedded along the river and or the river bottoms or cricks, and then they come to the they come to the uh, crick or the the crop circles or the pivots alfalfa fields whatever to feed at night and then they just it's almost like they have the bed to feed pattern all year round because their food sources are so concentrated unless there's like oaks but the whitetails aren't eating anything really in the up in the hills like the mule deer eat they're more focused down on the river bottoms um are, are you when you went or is this your first year going to wyoming
1: this is my second year going to the area. I, I also went last year.
0: Okay, what what's the number out there? I mean, is there? I mean, are you guaranteed to see deer if you can find a good spot?
1: Yeah, if if you go out to you know eastern Wyoming and, and you're not seeing deer, you're you're
0: definitely doing something wrong. You know, um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's very you know there's deer in those fields all day you know what you know it seems like the mature bucks don't don't come down till, you know a couple hours before dark right but if you can get on some land that is adjacent to those crop fields um and get kind of you know a lot of the time they they come off the hills in in ravines that are that are wooded or um down into the the brushy regions in the on those bottoms if you if you key in on those areas that's that's where those deer are going to be moving well before dark yeah um that's that's where you'll have your best opportunity
0: yeah, what's the pressure like? I mean, did you run into any other hunters in this area?
1: Uh, I ran into one other bow hunter that was also from Minnesota, okay. um, but I when I was actually out hunting in the field, I didn't I didn't run into anyone.
0: Yeah, yeah, man, that's crazy. And that that's the that's roughly the same experience when I have when I've been out west hunting. Well, I I, sh- I shouldn't say that because the property that I hunted in Nebraska was private. But uh, it's public down in uh, up in South Dakota. So I mean, we ran into when I say ran into, I mean, we saw we didn't like have an exchange. I saw two or three other hunters. They walked from their truck. I wasn't already in like a spotting scope position and they walk in and they walk in about a mile and then they turn around and they they walk back and that's what they did and and then we saw another guy but i think he was a hiker or just like some kind of explorer whatever this dude was doing he wasn't hunting he was way back in the public and he was just kind of it looked like he was hiking through almost and uh but other than that nothing nobody no cars no you know nothing and uh man I don't know why. Uh, there,
1: there actually was a, a. I ran into some some guys that were driving the same roads that I saw a few times, and ended up stopping and talking to them because I was thinking, oh, maybe they're going to be on the same same public, and and we can kind of talk to each other and figure out what we're going to be doing, so we're not running into each other. But they were actually just driving around, and they're going to be they were going to be elk hunting up in the mountains. So oh, okay. There's there's a couple guys out there for elk, but no one out there for deer, really.
0: Yeah, and uh, how big are some of the? You mentioned it doesn't have a lot of public, but when you do find public, what was like, was it big public or was it like a hundred acres here, hundred acres there?
1: Um, it, it was kind of a mix. There, there was a couple chunks that were a hundred, 200 acres, and then a few chunks that were more into the, the mountainous areas where you're going to run into mule, more like mule deer. Yeah. Uh, those were thousand, 2000 acres.
0: So bigger, bigger chunks at that point.
1: Yeah, there were some good sized chunks. There, there was no sure. when I say there wasn't much public. Uh, I just mean there wasn't like the, the huge vast ten thousand acre chunks. Right, so was, right. There was plenty to plenty to pick from.
0: Yeah. So, um, man. So, I I've done a, a handful of online scouting in Wyoming uh, for whitetails uh, in the river systems that run through there. And what I've what I keep finding, and this is this is what I would call an average not necessarily law like there you can find some public but a majority of the good ground to hunt whitetails in is private ground with just sprinkles of public along the river systems and the waterways what's the is that what you've you found as well
1: yeah that that was a a lot of that you know i did a ton of maps going to just on onyx and a lot of those you know areas that look just prime for whitetails were completely surrounded by private. Um, I I did key in on a couple where I knew I wouldn't have to cross any private or talk to any landowners and and see if they'd let me cross. Um, I did, I did speak with one landowner that, you know, they have like 8,000 acres and, and he did tell me that I could access some, some public through his land. Uh, I didn't end up having to do that, but yeah, there's a lot of that really good whitetail ground um, that's, you know, surrounded like hilly areas surrounding, you know, 200 acre alfalfa fields. That's all private where you, you wouldn't be able to access it at all.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Did you ever run into some landlocked private there where, or public there where it's like, man, I'd love to go here, but I can't access it because it is landlocked. I,
1: I did. I did find some spots on the map, but those were, you know, over probably a mile and a half back where you'd have to be going up and down hills and stuff and, And I just, you didn't, I didn't need to do that. Yeah. Judging off what I had already scouted and and found that I would be able to hunt, you know, and have easier access to. Yeah. I didn't have to really focus too much on those hidden, hidden public spots.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, this buck that you ended up shooting, describe him before we talk about, you know, what, what he was doing, but describe him. Uh, what did he look like? How old do you think he was?
1: So he was. I would guess he was three and a half. Um, he was a uh, mainframe 10, but he was missing his G four on the one side. So he was a nine pointer. Yeah. Uh, he's full. velvet. his velvet was beautiful. Um, a lot nicer than I shot a velvet buck last year too, but but this velvet was like perfect. Yeah. Um, like, no, they, they don't look like the, uh, you know, the typical, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan deer where they're kind of like scarred up and, and kind of almost sc- scraggly looking. Um, they, they look perfect out there. You know, they, they kind of live in an easier life, I guess. Yeah. But beautiful looking animal, the, their bodies are a lot smaller actually than deer in the Midwest. Um, but I would, I would say definitely a three and a half year old and I don't, I don't really know what he would score. He was outside the ears He had 18 inch inside spread. Okay. Um, I, after I actually, after I got him out of the woods, a conservation officer came and, and took some pictures and, and measured him for me and yeah, eighteen inches, I think, was his inside.
0: Well, that's awesome, man. Did um, uh, did you have to take any per- like Did you end up mounting that buck?
1: Yeah, I, I'm gonna mount the buck. Yep.
0: Okay, so my question to you is, uh, I've always, you know, I've talked to some taxidermists in the past, and like for me, I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, I think my, my point of view on this is slowly changing, but like for me at this point in my life, I'm not really interested in chasing velvet, anything right. Elk or, or mule deer or, or whitetails. I don't know what it is, but I'm not really interested in that. However, I think it, I think that's slowly changing because it allows, you know, like a, a September hunt you might be able, or in even a late August hunt, depending on where you go, you might be able to run into uh, some velvet animals. So once you shot him and you knew you were going to mount him, did you have to do any additional precautions to keep the velvet from falling off and rotting before you got him to the taxidermist?
1: So what what I did out there is there's a uh, there's a game processor in one of the the small towns close by. So I just... Um, got him, got him the game processor as quick as I could. And, and they ask you, if you know, do you want them caped out and, and capped for a shoulder mount? And they, they take care of it and, and freeze it right away. And, and then when I was done hunting South Dakota, a few days later, I just buzzed back over to Wyoming and they had him packaged up, ready to go, ready to head back to Minnesota to the, uh, to my taxidermist. Okay, and, Cause I would have done it myself, but you can't transport a, a deer carcass across state lines and I didn't, I didn't want to be trying to scrape out brain matter from, from that buck. You know, I, I didn't want to really deal with that. So I just, I guess took the easy way out and, and brought it to the
0: processor. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the right thing to do. So what do they do? Do they have to put like formaldehyde shots in it or uh, do anything special or do they just freeze it?
1: So they, they just froze it. And what my taxidermist will do is he, he's a friend of mine and he doesn't do it as a business. He just, uh, mounts deer for friends and he, he does a really good job but my 2019 buck from wyoming uh was his first velvet deer he had ever done and he just actually put the took the velvet off and put the fake stuff on and it ended up looking really nice but this year what he's going to do is he's going to actually try to preserve the velvet and 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 do it all natural
0: so cool. man that's awesome I don't know
1: what that process is but yeah he's going to give it a shot
0: yeah all right so you uh you ran into this buck. Uh, you shot this buck in Wyoming, and then on your way back to Minnesota, you stopped in South Dakota.
1: Well, I I actually kept my campsite in Wyoming. Okay. And then just it was like ninety minutes to the area that I was going to be hunting in South Dakota. So okay. I just drove back and forth from my campsite every day.
0: Okay, ninety minute drive even.
1: Yeah, it was
0: about ninety minutes. Wow, that's a lot of road time. Uh, so let yeah. me, so so when you you must have been, and I we talked a little bit about this on um on before we started recording because you can't hunt non residents cannot hunt on public ground in Wyoming on, uh so they have to hunt until October first. So if you were before October first. This means you had to hunt private ground. How did you get access to private ground in South Dakota?
1: Yep. Well, my, my plan was originally to go to South Dakota in October, but uh, when COVID hit, uh, my job actually shut down for a couple months and our company made us use half of our vacation during that layoff. So I had to cancel that October trip. So I decided, well, it better just try to knock them both out in this one trip. So, uh, those few days before season, I did do scouting in South Dakota also and knocked on a few doors and, uh, found a couple landowners that, that let me hunt. Um, a lot of landowners were wanted money that I couldn't afford. So I was, I was pretty lucky to, to run into a couple that let me hunt for free.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So how many, uh, did you, did you knock on any doors and the guy's like, yeah, a thousand dollars and you can hunt my, my ranch or whatever. Is that how it worked?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was a one guy wanted a thousand dollars
0: for three days. A thousand dollars for three days. Okay. Um, and then what did you do? Say, "Well, I'm sorry, I can't afford that." And then you moved on to the next one.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Just so. all, okay. That's that's fair, but I can't really afford that right now. I'll I'll keep looking. Yeah. And just try to be as respectful as possible. And not not kind of laugh when they say a thousand dollars. But
0: yeah. So when you did find somebody. Who you know you knocked on their door or you know because it sounds like you have Onyx and you have the ability to find landowners where they live. What did that conversation look like with the guy who said yes to you?
1: I just you know it, it it's you just try to be as respectful as possible and and let them know that you know you're really going to respect their land. You're you're you know I just I just told them I'm, I'm by myself. I'm I'm not going to drive in any of your fields or. Or drive on your land at all you won't even know I'm there uh, I won't cut any limbs or, or trees and uh, I'm, I'm just looking for a nice buck I'm not going to be out here wounding animals a lot you know you just try to be as respectful as possible and let them know your intentions that hey I'm a I'm a respectful hunter and I your land looks awesome and I'd love to hunt it
0: yeah and uh, when what did what was his response on the property that you did get permission to
1: So, so this, this guy that gave me permission, he's an awesome guy. He was probably 85 years old, but nice as can be, uh, kind of like an old cowboy type. And, and he, he told me, he said, come back tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my son who hunts out here. Uh, I don't see a problem with it, but he, he felt, he would, he said he'd feel more comfortable if he had talked to his son that does most of the hunting on his land and, An hour after I left, I I left him my phone number. An hour after I left, he called me back and said, yeah, come on over, hunt whatever you want.
0: That's awesome, man. How many acres did you get access to?
1: Uh, There was like 800 acres that I had access to. And uh, most of it was was up into the mountains, but he had about 150 acres of alfalfa with a river bottom behind it, kind of a a brushier river bottom. And I told him that I'm not going to go up in in the mountains and and cross any gates or anything. I I just kind of plan on hunting. You know, within a quarter mile of the house here. And yeah, he kind of he kind of looked at me like, "Really? why, why do you want to hunt around around deer?" Because uh, I'm I'm sure he's used to mule deer. People who are wanting to hunt mule deer in the mountains. Um, so when I told him that I was just going to be hunting kind of close to close to the house on on the ag fields, he was more than happy to let me.
0: Yeah, I mean that's awesome uh, that you know people allow like for me, I'm grateful for landowners, especially in Iowa where I'm not paying for a lease and I have access through permission, just like you got, uh, people who don't hunt and allow hunters to come on their property, man. That's still a very, you know, it's awesome that people still do that. And, uh, so when you went on that property, um, what, what did you do? I mean, you got access to it. This is a place you've only e-scouted. You've never put boots on the ground. Uh, what was the first thing that you did when you, uh, you know, when you, after you got access to it?
1: So I, it was, this was a, a property that I had driven and glassed around uh, the days before season. Okay. And I, I had seen some beautiful white tails that were, that were out in the alfalfa fields well before dark. Um, so I just snuck in there, uh, the first day that I could midday and just looked at kind of where those travel, where the deer are accessing the fields. Cause it seems like they like to travel the same, the same paths a lot when they're going into the fields. Yeah. So I, I just set up in an area where I noticed there was a lot of heavily used paths basically heading into the fields.
0: Okay. And just almost, it sounds like the same exact thing that you were doing in Wyoming
1: yeah essentially the same same style hunting
0: okay now were these deer bedded closer to the rivers or were they bedded closer to the uh uh up in the hills and then coming down to to eat
1: basically every mature buck that i saw come into that field was coming off
0: the mountain okay Okay, and uh, so pretty much it was. Long story short, it was the same kind of scenario. Just you found a good trail, you set up in a in one of the limited trees that you had access to, and you just waited. And did you have instant luck like you did in uh, Wyoming?
1: Uh, No, this South Dakota was a lot tougher. Um, Just because it it just seemed like I never could get one exactly close enough the one that i wanted i had i had bucks in range um but i, I kind of i knew my goals were i i'd like to shoot one that's at least the size of the one i got in wyoming or bigger yeah um so just i had there was always always deer coming by every night where, that i had in range but just not that three and a half four-year-old one that that i was after right so it took i i shot that september 5th is when i ended up taking out in south dakota and i had hunted the night of the first every morning and afternoon until the fifth when I got that one and that was that was actually my last sit I was going to head home right after the hunt and drive through the night to get back to Minnesota yeah so it it worked out perfect where I it was it turned into a bit of a grind you know camping camping out of your truck and and uh hunting five days on the road you know by yourself yeah but yeah it it ended up working out perfectly
0: man That's awesome. So, so it took you five days to get this buck in South Dakota? Yep. Cool. Man, that's, that's awesome. And, uh, what, uh, was this buck bigger than Wyoming? About the same?
1: It was, it was kind of different because this, this buck had actually been hard horned for a while. It seemed like. like he didn't have any blood on his antlers or anything. And, uh, it looked like he had probably been hard horned for at least a week. Okay, So he was, I'd say he was the same age, probably a three and a half year old, uh, a, a little bit near, skinnier antlers, uh, like a skinnier rack almost, but he was, he was, he was very tall. He was taller than the one I shot in Wyoming. Yeah. I'd, I'd say right around the same size if, if I had to score them, I didn't score either one of them cause I, I, I don't really care, but I I'd say they were right around the same size.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So, um, you, you were in this one trip, you were successful in Wyoming. You were successful in, uh, uh, South Dakota. Now you're back in Minnesota where you live. And what is on the agenda in Minnesota?
1: So our, our season opened up on September 19th. And, uh, right now the the way my schedule works is I have a built in eight day vacation every month. So right now I'm on my eight day vacation and, this time of year, it's, it's when deer, you know, have moved off their summer patterns and, and they can be kind of hard to locate. So what I've, what I've been doing is scouting a lot on public and, uh, trying to just kind of trying to find a buck. And that's, that can be kind of challenging at times up here. Uh, so I'm, I'm running a lot of trail cameras, uh, hunting some, I'm actually hunting overgrown mine dumps which not a lot of guys do, but there's, this is mine country up here. So there's, there's a lot of old like mine pits and, and rock dumps and stuff that have been reclaimed, you know, by nature and and overgrown and that are now public land. So I, that's where I like to to focus on hunting a lot is, is kind of those reclaimed mine dumps. And uh, I'm I'm just kind of looking for pinch points where they, where they, where the old mining roads that are overgrown go up onto these dumps or uh, the valleys between two old dumps or pinch points between an old mine pit and a dump kind of trying to key in on those areas running trail cameras trying to just find a buck
0: yeah my buddy ryan uh, he used to hunt in kansas and kansas this area that he hunted had a whole bunch of strip mines in it that had filled up with water And so it was like these, these long narrow lakes or ponds, I guess you want to say where they would, they would, they strip mined this, these long strips or whatever. And then over time they would overgrow just like what you said, it would become this nasty gnarly habitat for deer. And the deer just loved being, being in there. And that's, that's where he hunted never really in the 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 strip mine area, but right on the outskirts of it, like the edge, so to speak, and uh, always had, you know, would always tell me stories of all the deer that he used to run in, run into there, and one big one specifically that he chased for a handful of years. Is that similar to where they are? These big strip mines, or are they just like big holes in the ground? Basically,
1: they're they're just big holes in the ground, um, and with you know, the, the dumps where they dump the waste rock and you know, because they have to dig down to get to the to the good iron ore. Um so it's it's kinda like mount man made mountains surrounding these holes in the ground. And they they are nasty. <laughs> There's some, you know, nasty nasty like hillsides and and ravines and stuff. But the deer love it in there. Um and and stuff grows in it really well. Like it's very thick. There's uh a lot of a lot of the time it's the old old haul roads that deer like to travel on, so those those haul roads are, are overgrown, and I'll, I'll try to key in on those old roads because that's just where they're traveling, and that's where I basically like to start my my search for a buck if I'm
0: if I'm trying to find one out there. Okay, now this is a completely random question, <laughs> and I don't know why I was in my I was stopped at a construction site you know like where the the roads lead in or so the road they're they're doing construction on half the road and it so one lane's got to go then they stop and then the other lane's got to go and then they stop and they do that all day so i was stopping there and i was thinking and, and about Mount Rushmore of all things and i was like what is the Mount Rushmore of Iowa and and so here's what i'm going to say if if there was a Mount Rushmore of Iowa it would be Dan Gable, the Iowa wrestling coach, like the, the historic Iowa wrestling coach, it would be an ear of corn. It would be a pig and it would be probably a white tailed deer, you know, because it's, and that's just from my opinion, it could be something else or, or maybe even a tender, an actual tenderloin or a white tail, <laughs> you know, a white tail deer, you know, you know what I'm getting at? Like that's the Mount Rushmore yeah. of Iowa. What would you say is the Mount Rushmore of Minnesota? Oh
1: boy! Um, so I'll say I'll say a canoe because uh, <laughs> we're right up here by the EWCA. Um A wolf. A wolf. We deal with a huge wolf population. <laughs> it, okay. Um. Boy, I don't. I don't even know what else. Um. A lake, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah.
0: A picture of a lake,
1: yeah. Um. Boy, what would the fourth one be?
0: I don't know. Uh, I suppose. A walleye? I
1: suppose a, uh, a taconite pellet.
0: A taconite pellet. What's that?
1: Largest producer of taconite pellets in the United States up here.
0: That's what they mine for.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's what is made from the rocks are pulling out of the ground, and that's what is what steel is made out of.
0: Oh okay, I got gotcha. you. All right, that makes sense. So up in northern Minnesota, do you think the people in in southern Minnesota would say the same thing?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, for for Mount Rushmore, probably not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when I think of Minnesota, I think of I think of fishing, obviously. I think of lakes. I think of uh I've never I've never really spent a lot of time in Minnesota. I've been up there you know, a handful of times, but, uh, a walleye, like for some reason, I think walleye fishing, I went up to Baudette, Minnesota, all the way on the Canada border up into the Lake of the Woods. Uh, you know, that, that little, that little point of Minnesota that is actually further North than Maine.
1: North, Northwest, Northwest angle.
0: Yeah, that one. And, uh, so I've been up there before and so it's just, everybody's, you know, freaking crazy about, uh, about walleye fishing up there so yeah
1: that's a, that's a good one i definitely put walleye on my mount
0: rush more yeah so i'll
1: yeah. take lakes off and, and add walleye gotcha
0: <laughs> so so obviously when you have a state like minnesota that north south covers a lot of ground right and you you start going from the ag region down in southern minnesota up into the big timber pine you know uh north woods type of setting that you know that is that is minnesota uh and you live up in the north woods right
1: yeah h- how i would describe it is uh so if you draw a line right at duluth straight west okay. um in far northeastern minnesota it's it's completely different than even central minnesota it turns into that like boreal coniferous forest where it's it's a lot of like uh uh, spruce swamps and like birch and aspen trees uh islands of high ground mixed mixed into those swampy areas it's it's a lot like if you've heard mark Kenyon's uh recap of his BWca hunt that he went on last year that's basically the terrain that I live around
0: gotcha BWca what's that
1: that's uh boundary water canoe area wilderness
0: okay all right so that is similar to what your uh, your terrain is where you hunt. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So let me ask you this: um, What's the deer like? Deer population like? Because I, every time I hear North something like North Michigan, North Minnesota, Northern Wisconsin, I I I just feel like there's so much cover uh, and there's a lot less ag. So that means that the deer are lower in numbers and not as big of antlers as you would find in the Southern parts of all those States.
1: So I, there, there's a lot of things going against deer up here. There, there's, there's a huge wolf population. Um, the rut always falls over rifle season. So a lot of, a lot of bucks get, get killed in, in early November just cause that's how rifle season always falls. Um, And the the doe-to-buck ratio is very low. There seems like there's a lot of does around, but just not really as many bucks. And what the rifle season is, is it's been bucks only for the last, you know, as long as I can remember, just because of the population is down. Um, But there are massive deer in these woods that go unseen by humans, you know, probably their whole lives, just because there's so much space for them to hide in. Every, Every year, there's, deer killed by rifle hunters that are massive, you know, 180-inch deer. The biggest set of shed antlers ever found on from a wild deer were found right in this region, the Minnesota Monarch. So there's there's massive deer hiding in these woods, but they're just so smart and hard to get on that it's extremely difficult to, to actually get on a, a deer like that, even with, with a rifle in hand.
0: Yeah. So when you... So, what's the strategy up there? Because Minnesota, you cannot bait, correct? Correct, Yeah. Okay, no, no baiting in Minnesota. You can
1: bait up to 10 days before season.
0: Okay. But then after that, you're done? Done, yep. Okay. All right, so season comes in how what's your strategy then if you're if you're talking about how these these big mature bucks are so elusive and so hard to hunt and you know they can go years without even being seen how do you hunt an animal like that
1: so what i try to key in on is is just those areas of you know ledge rocky high ground that are adjacent to those bog swamps um meaning those Swamps are normally surrounded by it's it's all wedge rock in the ground up here. There's not a lot of like fertile, you know, farm country type ground. So a lot of the ground is just super rocky with like pine trees and, and maples growing on it. So I, I try to key in on fingers or peninsulas kind of extending out in, into those swampy areas. And I like to try to hunt around the bases of that. Um when I'm when I'm out scouting trying to find spots, 90% of the time, even if it's during season, I, I don't have my bow in hand. I'm just carrying a tree stand until i I find the spot where I can where I that looks good where there's fresh trails or, or fresh sign and trying to just set up along those edges of those swamps and coming back a few days later and maybe hunting that stand two or three sits and then tearing it down and and on to the next spot,
0: yeah, and then you just keep you keep doing that until you locate something that catches your eye or you find hot sign that makes you want to come back to that same area again and again and again.
1: Yeah. The, in, until I locate a buck like, like this year I've I had trail cameras running all summer, constantly moving around, uh, trying different spots. And I'm still yet to find a mature buck. I've, I've found some decent bucks, but that I would have been very happy with, you know, in, in years past. But now I'm, I'm kind of getting to the point where I, you know, I've, I've shot a couple deer out of state, so I, I have venison for the year. So, so right now I'm really just trying to, to hunt like a mature, big Minnesota whitetail and yeah. I haven't found one yet. So I'm still in that kind of scouting, hunting a little bit, but mainly just, mainly just finding new ground, trying to locate a buck.
0: Right. So a lot of public up there to scour?
1: Yeah. There's no shortage of public up here. Okay. Any, you know, you can, any direction you go, you'll, you'll run into a pretty big chunk of public.
0: Gotcha. All right. So when you start this process of trying to locate a big buck, um, what time of year do things start to open up a little bit more? Right. Cause you said you haven't located one yet, but eventually, you know, these deer are going to start moving more, covering more ground, looking for does, you know, in that mid to late October, you know, more signs going to be popping up here, you know, every day until the rut. Right. And, uh, um, so what time of year do you think things start to get interesting and you start seeing these mature deer pop up on your cameras or, you know, uh, encounters from the tree stand?
1: So historically, I don't get a lot of good trail camera pictures until like that mid-October timeframe. Um, sometimes it's earlier, but but generally it's it's not until they, they really start kind of cruising around more. You know, they're starting to feel it mid, mid-October up here. So that that's when I, I normally find one like in 2018 it it happened a little earlier it happened in October and what I did with that buck it was an area that I knew that there was a very nice what I thought was a two and a half year old that uh, I wanted to key in on that next year and every picture I ever got of him was at night so I tried to just correlate what time I was seeing him on camera at night and then figure out when he would start moving where his his bedding area could be and I found him with by running trail cameras coming out of this swampy area. And when I went to hunt him, I actually saw him get out of his bed the, the first night. Okay. And I said, well, that's where he got out of his bed, so I'm just going to go simply move my stand closer to where I saw him get out of his bed. Sure enough, the next night, he came out and did the exact same thing, and I ended up shooting him at six yards.
0: Okay. All right. And that So that's the strategy, though. I mean— you just, you just keep making moves, keep making moves until you locate something and then start refining everything to get that close encounter that offers you a shot.
1: Yep. It's, it's just a lot of, a lot of boots on the ground scouting until you find one. And then once you find one in the area, that's, then you really kind of break it down and, and think about it. Like, how am I going to hunt this deer? How am I not going to blow him out? Where, where do I think he's traveling? Like, where is he feeding? So once, once you find one, it's game on, but until then it's just, don't get too hung up on, on any one area that you haven't seen a buck on just keep moving.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's not too different, you know, other than maybe food sources and maybe a little patterning, uh, here and there, but that's not too different from how I approach my, my season, you know, catch one on trail camera move in if you see him in a bed or you see him come out of a a thicket or whatever you just move in close and hopefully does the same thing two days in a row or or comes back in the the next night um when how with there not being such a a you know a prominent ag field food source number one what are these deer eating up there and number two do they stick to the same pattern multiple days or weeks in a row
1: so it's just a lot of like woody browse red osier dogwood is something they love that i've i try to look for when i'm scouting um that's probably i mean red osier dogwood is there's always deer on that so i i'm trying to trying to find stuff like that to to try to hunt on during the summer they're very unpredictable because the woods get so thick that you don't even really know what they're feeding on because there's so much browse in the woods so it's It's, uh, once the, once the leaves change, like this time of year is when it's a lot of just like woody browse.
0: Right. Okay. And then this, this woody browse, um, are there any acorn trees up there?
1: No, pretty much zero. Uh, where I hunt, when you go a little bit South, you can, you can find them here and there, but I, I haven't found any in the area that I'm in. I've, and I I always try to try to find one. Gotcha. I'll find a random acorn somewhere in the woods when I'm walking and be like, there's got to be an oak tree around here and I'll I'll search for it for a day and never find it. It's weird <laughs>
0: Squirrel probably, you know, traveled a mile with it. Yeah, probably. So so then as far as a deer's pattern is concerned, I mean, are they doing the same thing, you know, with, with it being a, a lot of woody brows, are they moving a, around a lot? I mean, with... With it, when a deer starts eating woody browse or acorn trees, right? They're not going. I mean, from my experience, they're not going in this this consistent bed-to-food pattern that they might in the late summer months when they're trying to get, you know, the the soybeans when the soybeans are are ripe, or when the combine comes through, knocks all the corn out, and they they start heading to a cornfield every night. What is yeah? What what kind of patterning or consistency in a in their daily routine are you seeing?
1: A lot of the time, no consistency. Yeah. Aside from if you can catch them right where they're bedding, once they get out of the bed and, and move around a little, it's it's really kind of hard to to know what to predict what they're going to be doing. Just because I think they're feeding just as they're moving a lot, because you know I think they. In the fall, when the maples are losing, there's a lot of maple around here. So they, they, I've definitely watched bucks sitting and just eating maple leaves as they're as they're meandering along. So it's it's pretty hard to to get them on a pattern for how they feed this time of year. You know, yeah. late mid to late season.
0: Gotcha. Does that pattern? Um, are they using the same beds? Because you know, a lot of people they're like find the deer beds find the deer beds. you got to find where this deer's bedding got to find it find the deer bed set up on it and you were lucky in 18 to find a deer bed move in on it and that allowed that buck to you know he came back to that bed and, and he ended up shooting him but for me different wind directions mean these deer are bedding in different areas even if it's a slight wind direction it's almost like they're never bedding in the same spot multiple days in a row like maybe two maybe three but never more than that like by then the winds changed and they're doing something completely different
1: right and and i think i just kind of got lucky finding that finding that one and having him do the same thing two days in a row um it's not easy to even find a buck bed around here so i i can't i can't really speak to how often they're using those same beds and how how often they're changing where they're betting. But it seems, you know, I shot that one October first. I'm sure by mid-October that that deer would have been probably in a completely different area of bedding, yeah. you know. Once, once things start start to heat up and, and they feel the heat a little bit, so it's 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 very unpredictable where where that buck will be if you don't get on them, see him in his bed the one night, and then go in for the kill. If you're not if you're not you know in there and and you don't get a chance at that buck he he could be completely gone and and you won't have another
0: shot at him right hence why you're so mobile yep exactly all right so what about calling uh in i mean is there a lot of pressure up there are people cracking the antlers and throwing grunts and snort wheezes around does calling work for you
1: so when i when i started bow hunting um i I grew up rifle hunting just on our family at our family hunting shack and uh that's our family hunting shack is is right in the middle of this kind of swampy thick uh air area uh, in northern minnesota and i don't really bow hunt that at all because my people in my family put a lot of time into uh you know cutting shooting lanes and, and getting it ready for rifle season so i don't like to go in there and and mess it up for him before season and just try to try to get on the biggest buck in the area and and go kill him so it's uh yeah it's i lost my train of thought Dan.
0: yeah so the you kind of stick to you know you have some access to some private but you kind of just stick to the the public game yeah gotcha pretty much yeah i gotcha cool man well uh So no big deer on camera as of right now in Minnesota. Um, And it sounds like you're playing this mobile game uh, and just trying to run into them. Do you have a, when, when does rifle season kick, kick in, in Minnesota?
1: So rifle season starts the first week in November and around 16 days.
0: Okay. First week, the first week in November
1: first weekend
0: oh first weekend like
1: november usually like november 2nd to the 6th there's somewhere in there
0: so so you uh, you always want november 1st to be on a monday so you get (laughs) a whole week of the rut before the you know before the the first man that's tough that's tough to have a state like Man, we got it so good in Iowa. Being able to hunt the rut, there's not even a shotgun season. There's not even a gun season other than muzzleloader, but there's no crazy gun season or rifle season in Iowa until the it's like the second or third of December, and then it's three or yeah. three or however many weeks uh, of shotgun season in in Iowa. And man, I. I Every time I hear someone, I almost cringe a little bit because I, I got it so good here in Iowa when someone says, yeah, November, you know, third, then it's the gun season. And I think, man, there's, there's, there's states, other states that have these crazy long seasons and gun seasons that hot start in, I want to say the last week of October. So these deer are getting punished all year, like pursued all year round. And it makes it real hard for a bow hunter. Is is there a huge shift in movement in the timber when the gun season kicks in for you?
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, the way that rifle season lines up in Minnesota, it's it's always peak rut. So it's it's. I don't I don't necessarily agree with the timing of the rifle season because you know as a as a bow hunter, and once rifle season starts, I just it, like you said, it's I cringe just thinking of. Yeah. Of all the all the bucks that don't really have a chance that are out chasing and are gonna end up in someone's shooting lane. And, and there's there's a lot of hunters around that, you know, they're which is, you know, fine, that's why everyone hunts is, is to get venison, but, but they shoot every year and a half old that, that comes cruising through. And uh on it's fine on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like as as a bull hunter who who wants to try to hunt these mature deer, it makes you cringe. That, it's definitely uh definitely tough.
0: Yeah well man good luck this uh season i mean it already sounds like your season has been a success as far as the western adventures have uh are concerned but it sounds like uh you're on the you're on the prowl for something bigger in minnesota hopefully you connect hopefully you find uh what you're looking for and good luck man
1: yeah thanks dan i'm gonna go check trail trail cameras right after this and and Hopefully I like what I see and and can finally kind of start keying in on some of these areas and and actually getting my bow in my hand and, and getting in the tree.
0: And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout out to Mark for taking time out of his day. Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Vortex Optics, Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, and the Average Conservationist Apparel. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast, please follow me on social nine finger chronicles on Instagram and Facebook sportsman's nation on Instagram and Facebook. Tons of great information there. Other than that, have a good rest of your week. Be safe. Hunting season is here and uh, man. Enjoy mother nature.